I think the, the lessons that the dad taught me were that if you work hard, that you can achieve great things. Mum and dad were both very independent people. If I wanted to do something as a kid growing up, it was up to me to make it happen. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump and in this episode, we're speaking with ex-accountant and property investment extraordinaire Steve McKnight. With a massive portfolio of over 500 properties, we'll hear about the horror story investments he's had, what's pushed him to get into investing and how he's even had Barack Obama as his tenant. With a highly impressive portfolio of over 500 properties, McKnight has been able to pursue the life he's always dreamed of. I am a professional investor and I guess my claim to fame is that since May 1999, I've bought hundreds and hundreds of properties. I don't keep account of how many but it'd be well over 500. It might be as high as 800. I I know it sounds like a big gap but after a while, you, you, you stop counting and you lose count. So I went from being an unhappy accountant uh, in practice with a business partner at the time, Dave Bradley, and together Dave and I cast a vision to buy enough property to uh, never have to work in our accounting business again. And by age 32, uh, we achieved that goal. And both of us, uh, although we're no longer business partners, have moved on to uh, our respective uh, niches in real estate and continue to profit from it. Working from home, McKnight's day often revolves around spending time with his family working on his personal hobbies and living life the way he likes. Normally, I'll roll out of bed at around 7 o'clock or so. I'll do maybe a half hour of exercise or walking when I pray and give thanks to God for being alive for that particular day. I'll come home. I'll help the kids get ready to go to school. I'll eat breakfast. I'll sit and read my Bible. And then I'll get in and do some work, usually until lunchtime. And then I'll eat lunch. And then I will uh, get back and do a little bit more work. And then the kids come home from school. So we hang out and I help them with their homework or just have a chat or we do some exercise together. And we eat dinner and then we hang out after dinner and go to bed. And the next day, repeat chorus. That's pretty much my lifestyle at the moment. I think for me, the vision was uh, financial freedom, which is working when you want, how you want, uh, when you want and with whom you want. And that was always the dream. I don't think financial freedom is getting on the golf course every day or if that's what you want to do, good luck to you. For me, it was still contributing, being productive, adding value, helping people, but also being around for my kids, particularly while they're young, and uh, giving them uh, a lifestyle which I like to say was my – I want my special growing up to be their normal. So I'm trying to lift the bar a little bit without spoiling them. I mean, my eldest daughter wants a pony – and my wife and I have decided against that and uh, trying to encourage her to be a bit more responsible. Growing up on the outskirts of Melbourne, McKnight shares that while his parents couldn't afford private school, his parents made sure he got a good education. I grew up in uh, eastern suburbs of Melbourne in a, in a place called or a town called suburb called Doncaster, which back in the 60s and the 70s was the, the sort of urban fringe, give or take, of Melbourne, so there was a lot of house and land packages going up in Doncaster, Templestowe in the 70s and 80s. 
uh, went to school at the local primary school, Doncaster Primary, and they were really happy years. I mean, back in those days, you could ride your bike to school without a helmet, which would be crazy <laughs> these days. You were able to stay out just so long as you were home before dark. There were no mobile phones. There was no internet. It was kids having fun as kids. And accidents happened, the occasional broken arm from someone who fell off the monkey bars, but life went on. After primary school, I went to uh, a private school in Melbourne, Campbell Grammar. My parents couldn't afford to send me there, but my grandparents could, so they paid for the uh, high, school, high school education. After finishing at Campbell Grammar, uh, well, at Campbell Grammar, I like to borrow a line from Robert Allen. You know, I was in the, the bottom third that made the top two-thirds possible. Not too fond of his childhood schooling experience, McKnight still went on to graduate with an accounting degree that would eventually land him one of his first jobs. I wasn't particularly remarkable at high school. I was overweight. I was the second fattest kid in high school. Um, my nickname was Captain Blubber. Uh, so I had some, some socially awkward moments. And then after high school, I went and did an accounting degree at RMIT in Melbourne and then third year of that accounting degree was working for a year. It was called a co-op year, so I was lucky in the recession of the early 1990s to get a graduate or slightly undergraduate accounting position, uh, doing tax returns, photocopying, filing, running the boss's dry cleaning into town, picking up his Rolex watch. Uh, and I, I thoroughly, I mean, I appreciate the opportunity, but I thoroughly hated it. I used to get to Sunday night and cry about going to work the next day, uh, ironing shirts, I, I, it was just horrible. Anyway, that year ended. Uh, it was great to have the money, mind you, uh, so I wanted to go back and finish my accounting degree, given that I was three years into a four-year degree. I kept working part-time at the accounting place for, for, for money, and then I luckily uh, got a job at Deloitte. I thought, well, I've, maybe I just had a bad experience with my first accounting job. Maybe I'll go and work somewhere else. And Got a job at Deloitte and really, really loved it. Spent three years at Deloitte, loved the, loved the social feel about the place, uh, loved the camaraderie. The work got a bit, bit boring at the end, but uh, at that time I studied to become a chartered accountant and burnt out. I was working 10 to 12 hours a day, coming home doing three to four hours of study, uh, and that was six days a week, and Sunday I'd just sleep all day. And after 14, 15 months of that, which was the study to, to become a chartered accountant, I was just thoroughly emotionally spent. So I had a bit of a career hiatus. I quit my job at Deloitte to try and go back and study physiotherapy at uni. Physiotherapy was always my passion. However, despite his passion for physiotherapy, McKnight ended up back in accounting and moved to Melbourne. I love massage. I love helping people. I kind of feel like I fell into accounting because I couldn't do HSC or VCE English, uh, not English, um, maths because of the high school, they didn't want me to mess up their pass rate. So anyway, as a, as a young adult, I tried to get back into physio, didn't get in, got close. That ended my career kind of at Deloitte. Uh, I was ready to move on anyway. Spent a while working for ICI, which is now Orica, and then uh, moved on. I'd met my wife at Ayers Rock, now my now wife at Ayers Rock, and went up to Mackay in North Queensland where she lived to woo her, got sacked out of that job in North Mackay, big fish in a small pond. I remember was another accounting job and I I just couldn't bring myself to wear short sleeve shirts and a tie. I just I felt that was wrong. <laughs> After the pedigree of working at Deloitte, 
where you know you come in a suit and you're well groomed and, and then turning up at Mackay where they had kind of ties with that elastic behind it. No one knew how to tie a tie and short oh, it was just it was a cultural shock. And uh, I think we didn't integrate well. So they, in hindsight, they did the right thing in letting me go. But my wife and I moved back to Melbourne and I got a job working in a, an accounting firm. Unknowingly committing himself to a career of unhappiness, McKnight explains that it was after falling ill due to his job that he realized he had to change career paths. You can see I keep repeating this mistake like a dog returning to its vomit. I uh, got, got another accounting job working as a manager in a small firm and I was the audit manager and the tax manager was a strapping young lad called Dave Bradley. And after working for a while in that accounting practice together, Dave and I looked at each other and said, why don't we start up our own firm? Uh, So Dave and I started up our own firm at the beginning of 1999 and after four or five months of doing that, I said to Dave, Dave, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. I was suffering health-related stress issues. I was good at accounting, but it, it was destroying my soul. And maybe that's a point for some listeners today is that if you're stuck in a, a lifestyle or a job where it's just eating you from the inside out, and in my case, I ended up with ulcers on, we'll call it unusual body parts, and you can try and fill in the gaps, went to the doctor. He said, look, Steve, you've just got stress-related illness. You have to change, otherwise you're going to die early. And I, I had to make a lifestyle adjustment. It was after receiving this news that McKnight ultimately realized that everything that happened, happened for a reason. I was pretty devastated after being sacked from the job in Mackay. Uh, it, it, when you get sacked somewhere, it takes your self-esteem down a couple of notches. And uh, it took me a few years to recover from that. But with the benefit of hindsight, as I said, I think they did the right thing and they did me a favor because I wouldn't be where I am today if they hadn't have done it. Parallel to these occurrences, McKnight shares that from a young age, he was constantly exposed to investment in real estate through his dad's ventures. Dad sold used trucks and mum taught piano after school for some extra housekeeping money but otherwise she was the principal sort of uh, homemaker. Uh, Dad, later in his career as he was coming towards the end of it, dabbled in some property investing, uh, pretty speculative. Uh, he had a, a client who bought a lot of trucks from him and together they purchased a, an industrial site and he quite literally bet the, bet the house on it. He mortgaged up the house to get the investing capital to buy it and just before they were going to start operations, uh, one, of the, one of the large national tenants, competing tenants, told them if you ever lease out this building, uh, we're, going to, we're going to send you broke. And they had to make a call about whether they were going to do it or or kind of fold. And they, I mean, they had testicles the size of bowling balls because they went ahead and did it and it it worked out. So that was the beginning of Dad's real estate career. And he's since bought a couple of negatively geared properties that have appreciated well in value. He also dabbles in the stock market. But I have a saying that anything Dad buys, everyone else should sell because he has the anti-Midas touch on the stock market (laughs) goes down in value. So he probably should have stuck to real estate where he's done quite well. Uh, Mum's parents were, dad's parents were uh, not particularly wealthy growing up, whereas mum's parents were more wealthy. And so mum and dad 
have clashed regularly over their marriage, and they've been married 52 years now, I believe, but they've, they've clashed regularly in their marriage uh, over money issues. And that despite his parents' hardships, his parents have taught him that if you work hard, you can achieve amazing things. I kind of believe that's why I ended up being an accountant, was to try and, on the third child, be the peacekeeper in the family and, and try and help mum and dad sort out their money woes. But anyway, uh, life has ended up well for mum and dad. They're both independently wealthy now. Mum... Uh, through inheritance, dad through his own self-made means and a little bit of inheritance as well. And uh, they're they're fine. They're they're well looked after. They're self-funded retirees. That's great. As far as as my own real estate career goes, I think the the lessons that, that dad taught me were that if you work hard, that you can achieve great things. Mum and dad were both very independent people. If I wanted to do something as a kid growing up, it was up to me to make it happen. So if I wanted to play basketball, I had to catch a bus to the basketball stadium uh, and and organise myself. So while it was disappointing in some ways that mum and dad didn't show a great interest in what I did, uh, the lesson that that taught was if you want something, make it happen yourself. And, And really that is the journey of real estate for me because if I wanted something, I, I just had the tenacity to go away and make it happen. And uh, today people often say about me that they don't think that I'm brilliant and I don't think I am either, but what I have is a, a doggedness to continue to push ahead uh, even in difficult circumstances. And maybe that was forged in those early years growing up. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Steve McKnight's journey to find out about the amazing way he got started in property. I went to Dave and I said, Dave, I know that we're new business partners together, but I can't do this anymore. Let's try and let's try and do something else. And we went to a Robert Kiyosaki seminar after reading his book. And then in May 1999, Dave and I got in the car and we drove up to Ballarat and we bought our first positively geared investment property. Why he believes property investing is worth it, despite some of the investment nightmares he's faced. There's been some horrible stories, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I think out of those experiences, you you learn a lot. And so there hasn't ever been a moment in my real estate career where I've, I've really felt compromised. And that's next. I'm Tyron Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Deciding to do away with the stress that his job as an accountant offered, McKnight and his business partner decided to find another way to accumulate wealth. I went to Dave and I said, Dave, I know that we're new business partners together, but I can't do this anymore. Let's try and let's try and do something else. And we went to a Robert Kiyosaki seminar after reading his book. And then in May 1999, Dave and I got in the car and we drove up to Ballarat and we bought our first positively geared investment property. And then we soon after sat down and said, all right, we've bought one. How many of these would we have to buy to not have to work in accounting anymore? And it was 150 or I can't remember the number, but it was a large number of houses. And we said, all right, let's do it. One by one by one, Dave and I used the money in the accounting practice. He would continue to work in the accounting practice in the early days and I would use the money to invest in real estate. And then as time went on, uh, Dave 
uh, gradually phased out the accounting practice so that we both ended up being full-time real estate investors. That's the journey. While becoming real estate investors was a major benefit for his overall health and lifestyle, McKnight shares that there were still some rather undesirable experiences he had to go through in his investing career. I mean, there's been some horrible stories, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I think out of those experiences, you you learn a lot. And so, there hasn't ever been a moment in my real estate career where I've I've really felt compromised. And I think that's because as an accountant, I'm naturally risk averse and try to avoid. That said, uh, in the early investing years of Dave and uh, Dave and my uh, careers, we did buy a, a property that we decided to renovate ourselves. And with due respect to Dave and with uh, due respect to myself, we were we were good accountants and we were emerging property investors, but we were terrible renovators. Um, it was actually the only deal that I've ever done with a family member as well. We brought Dad in on it who had retired. Dad was quite handy. And it, it just we didn't lose money, but we didn't make a lot of money. And the learning lesson there was the amount of deals we missed because our heads were in paint tins rather than out there looking for the next opportunity versus the labour saving by doing our the work ourselves was just ridiculous. So I think the lesson there was do what you're really good at doing and leave the rest for, for those that are good at, at doing things that you're not. Uh, a story of a property over here in the US, which might freak a few people out, was uh, uh, back in 2009 or 2010, I was looking at buying a, a fiveplex and it was a real estate foreclosure and uh, Funnily enough, Mike Comar, uh, another Mike, uh, was taking me through the property and he knocked on the door and the tenant opened it up and uh, immediately there was this foul smell that kind of hit me in the face like a punch. Unprepared for what he would walk into, McKnight takes us back to the moment that shocked him the most in his investing career. Mike kind of stepped back and ushered me in. So anytime a real estate agent does that, it sort of lets you go in and they stay outside. You know you're in for shock. <laughs> anyway, uh, as I walked in, I was trying to find where the smell came from. It was it really was pugnant doesn't do it justice. Putrid is more like it. Oh, and I was looking around and I saw a whole lot of cats. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then as I as I looked around, I saw the kitty litter tray that was full of cat poo to overflowing. And I'm like, oh, okay, that, that's probably the smell. Um, and then as I looked around, I kind of looked at the kitty litter box and it seemed to be moving. I was like, what? Well, this is odd. And the tenant's talking to me about the property and I'm, I'm trying to listen and I'm also trying to figure out why is the kitty, kitty litter moving? And then as I looked at the kitty litter, I looked at the wall behind it and it seemed to be moving. And as I looked around, the ceiling seemed to be moving and the floor seemed, I was like, am I coming down with a migraine or what's going on? This is all odd. And, and then just as I felt something crawl up my leg, it dawned on me what was going on. The place was so infested with cockroaches, little mini cockroaches, that they were all over the walls and all over the kitty litter and all over the ceiling and all over the floor and they'd started crawling up my legs. And I, I was kind of thinking, oh. And then 
just as I realized this, everything kind of clicked into place. The tenant says, yeah, as you can see, we've got a cockroach problem here. <laughs> I've been in hospital twice. They, they've crawled into my ear canal in the nighttime and I've had to go to hospital to get them taken out. <laughs> well, I guess I'm the guy who likes to buy problems and turn them into solutions. So despite the cockroach problem, we bought the property we did move the tenant out. It's kind of not appropriate to have 10 cats in a little one-bedroom bed sitter. Uh, so we moved her out and we had to tent, put a big tent over the whole property and gas it. Anyway, we still couldn't afterwards get the smell out of that unit, even though the cats weren't there anymore and the kitty litter wasn't there and the tenant wasn't there anymore. And so we had to peel off the plaster in the walls and we, we took out 10 um what are they, 50-gallon drums of dead cockroaches, dead little mini cockroaches, shoveled them into the, oh, I didn't do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cleaning up the property did it. He had to take out, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of these little cockroaches that had infested the place and got behind the wall. And then we, we gradually turned it around. And about a year or so ago, I, I sold that property and, and made a good capital gain. But uh, it was it was a... It was a, a bit of a, a bit of a problem. While definitely an unfortunate event, McKnight has had some bad experiences through his investing career. One in particular involving a tenant who was an American president. Another story out of the US. I mean, most of my investing has been in the US since 2009, when I cashed out of Australia and, and brought my money over to the US because house prices over here were so ridiculously cheap. The returns were so high. The dollar was high and I, I foresee, foresaw an opportunity, but I've been buying some stuff back in Australia recently too. Um, the, the story that comes to mind here is that I bought another property in foreclosure, downtown Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, there was a, a, a bit of a problem with it in that the bank, uh, the bank owned it, but there was some, it was a double story building and there was a staircase out the back. And we said to them, look, we'll either replace the staircase and you give us a $5,000 discount on the price or you replace the staircase and and we'll pay the, the price, the asking price. And they said, no, no, we'll, we'll go ahead and, and we'll change over the, the staircase back. I thought, oh, okay, no worries. Anyway, I think it ended up costing them $30,000, which was quite a lot of money because the whole property was only $80,000. And then... Uh, be that as it may, the remarkable thing about that building is that Obama then leased it for his campaign headquarters for Southwest Florida here. So I've had Barack Obama, the ex-president of the United States of America, as one of my tenants. With the ability to say that he's hosted Barack Obama in one of his properties, being able to bounce back from a nightmare of a property and also gain so much success in his investing career, McKnight ends by sharing the moment in his investing career that made him realize the ways properties could change his life. I've been very fortunate that one of the skills that I've got is being able to uh, reasonably accurately predict uh, changes in market momentum. So ahead of the curve in Ballarat, ahead of the curve in New Zealand, ahead of the curve in the United States. Now, you know, that's only by the grace of God. I don't have any soothsaying ability or anything else like that. It's just I've seen the same opportunity present itself a number of different times. I would think that the best 
thing that ever happened to me in my investing career solo, so after Dave and I shook hands and, and moved on to our own respective niches, was the decision to come to the United States of America and invest here. Uh, it was 2009 and it was it was carnage real estate over here, but um, I managed to buy a couple of hundred houses, um, some by myself, some with another investing partner, Aaron Dunlop, mobile home parks. And uh, what's, what's happened is that the, the strategy played out. And it's always nice to, to see a strategy play out. You, you think you, it'll work, but when, when it does work, it, it kind of feels self-fulfilling. So the, the money that's been made over here in the US has been good, but uh, that aside, it's, it's watching a strategy play out and then realising that, yeah, you can do this. And, uh, you know, a middle, middle-class guy from Melbourne, ex-accountant, sacked of a job in Mackay, second fattest kid in high school, with all the doubts and fears and insecurities that we all have, when a plan comes together to quote the A-team, it's great. And my aha moment was I knew I could do it with Dave. Could I do it by myself? And uh, coming over here and investing in the United States proved I could. And, and that, was, that was an aha moment. So given that I had proved that I could do it by myself, or, or as I like to say, with God as my business partner, uh, that then gave me a confidence and allowed me to go to a higher level with my investing than where I had been before. Thank you to our guest Steve McKnight for sharing his amazing story. If you want to hear more stories like this, visit propertyinveststory.com.